If you can hear strange background noises in this recording, it's because we're doing our podcast in Auckland Airport, where Sue and I are about to get on a plane, we hope, back to Sydney. But there's a lot to talk about. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Okay, so there's some alarming news in the papers last week. That's right. Uh, There's been a bit of controversy about this. Over in Harris Park in the west of Sydney, there's um, been an application for 483 apartments, um, a series of of five blocks, I think, of four, six, and eight stories high. Yeah. And uh, they're all going to be billed to rent apartments. And I think a lot of people feel that it shouldn't really happen because it's kind of in a very historic part of Harris Park which is very close to Elizabeth Farm, where Elizabeth MacArthur and her husband John MacArthur started the Australian wool industry. Which you wrote all about in your book, Elizabeth and Elizabeth. Yes, absolutely. So I went over there quite a bit. It's a beautiful place. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere in lots of ways. So you you kind of wonder, I mean, I haven't looked very closely at this, this, um, the plans for this development, but if it actually built kind of nice looking um, affordable build-to-rent housing in an area and kind of linked in some ways Elizabeth Farm with the other historic places nearby because uh, it's very close to Experiment Farm as well, which was the first European colonial farm that was set up, I think, in about 1834, I think. So, um, and then there's also Dumbledore Cottage just nearby there and there's also the… Dumbledore? Isn't yes. that from Harry Potter? <laughs> Same name. Same name. Yes, oh, is exactly. that where she got it, you think? Oh, quite possibly, yep. So Dumbledore Cottage and there's a Maronite Christian church, a Lebanese Christian church nearby as well. Cathedral, yeah. Cathedral, oh, So wow. that's just next door as well. So I guess it's got lots of um, esteemed neighbours and many of them are actually, uh, you know, protesting about these plans. Are they just NIMBYs? Well, it's hard to know, isn't it really? Because the build-to-rent build sector is a really important part and becoming an even more important part of the Australian housing sector. Because, um, you know, to recap on build to rent, they're apartments which the developer retains ownership of, but right. it gives the tenants um, security of tenure. They can't be just kicked out after, you know, whenever after somebody wants to. six months when yeah, somebody wants to put the rent up. That's right, or sell their property or something. So they do get security of tenure. Um they can have pets. You know, the, the, the rules are much more lenient. They can paint the walls whatever colour they want to. They can put up their own pictures, that kind of thing, which often they can't do in a private rental, as you know, really. And uh, the rent is pegged at a certain level. It can only go up by CPI, I think after one year, something like that. So right. it can't suddenly shoot up yeah. massively just Just on because somebody can make a bit of money out of it. That's right. And that's becoming a really important part of the Australian housing sector. You know, when we're so worried about affordable housing, it's really filling a gap, really. Yep. And I mean, the US investment firm, Blackstone, has just come into Australia. They've set up their own dedicated platform called Realm Australia, which is all about build to rent. Right. And they've got one project in Brisbane. They've got a second project in Melbourne. And they're now looking at expanding everywhere else in Australia as well. So it's, it's becoming a really dynamic sector. And you know, in lots of ways, it really should be encouraged. But it's cutting out the middleman, isn't it? It's cutting out the mum and dad investor. But then since they've all put their 
properties on Airbnb now anyway. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it's not such a tragedy for, for people who were, who were hoping to rent their, their apartments or buy an investment. Ernst & Young have said over the next decade or so, um, that sector, the build to rent, has got the potential to grow to 10% of Australia's rental pool. So that's still only 10%. There's another 90% of the rental pool there which ha- ha- will have private owners. Yeah, but for apartments uh, specifically, 50% of our residents, if not more, are tenants. Mm, so these right. tenants are now going to be able to go off and find longer tenure in places that are designed to be rented rather than supposedly for people to live in, but really for private investors. Yes, that's right in theory. But at the same time, when you say they'll just go off and find other accommodation, we have a huge shortage of rental accommodation in yeah. Australia. So really, if you're increasing the rental pool, that can only be a good thing. These people who are developing this originally had a much bigger project in mind, didn't they? That's right. <laughs> when people were protesting, they were saying, well, look, these are only up to eight stories high. Originally, in their original plans, I think there was something like 32 stories high. Wow. <laughs> That's a, a big change, isn't it? But then again, you know, you never know with developers. Some developers might say, oh, look, I, you know, it's just a, a gambit an, an claim. Ambit claim. Yeah. 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 Sorry, ambit claim, not gambit claim. Well, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's a gambit. <laughs> Um, And sometimes, you know, if they got 32 stories, it might be wonderful. But maybe they were thinking, well, if we say 32 and then we end up with eight, we look as if we've been really benevolent and and accommodating. We're accommodating you because we're we're letting you allow us to build the number of apartments that we wanted to build in the first place, but we just kidded you it was going to be much bigger. Mm, mm. But obviously, you know, Harris Park is just next to Parramatta, and that's a really important part of Australia. It is Sydney's second CBD after right. the main central CBD. Yeah. But also in the past, it's got a, a really incredible history um, because it was the second place that was settled in Australia really after Sydney. Yeah. And uh, there was Sydney, Parramatta, and the Hawkesbury. So Parramatta has got a lot of heritage sites there, and they, they really need to be protected and looked after and considered very carefully in the main planning of, of the, the whole region. So okay. we kind of have to keep a, a very um, sharp eye open on that. Putting your property writer's hat on and your apartment dweller's activist hat on, do you think this project should go ahead? Potentially, I think it's a really valuable project. And if the ground plane could be made um, to really include those historic sites and blend in with those sites... And, and in a really thoughtful way with landscaping and clear wayfaring, all that kind of thing, it could be a really great project. And putting on your hat as the author of Elizabeth and Elizabeth, your first novel. <laughs> well, you know, when I, the first time I went out to Elizabeth House, Elizabeth Farm, sorry, I was amazed that it was really hard to find and it just felt like a bit… Um, Lost? Yeah, yeah, and it didn't have its rightful place in the streetscape. And so if it actually became much more obvious and, and self-evident and kind of and highlighted and showcased, then I think that could be a really good thing. Elizabeth Macquarie was an innovator architecturally and in town design. Is that fair to say? You yep. probably know more about her than the vast majority of Australians. Yeah, the wife of Governor Lachlan Macquarie, yep. yep. And, yeah. And from whom we got Macquarie Street and some, some of the great classic buildings of mm. Sydney. Hyde Park Barracks. 
Yep. Would she approve of this development? <laughs> well, it's interesting. She was a real egalitarian. Her and her husband were both very much in favour of convicts once they'd done their time, being pardoned and being able to take high positions of enormous responsibility. Including architect. Colony. Well, that's right. Also, police officers under his reign, the chief constable was a former convict, which some people found absolutely disgraceful. Right. So you kind of think they were great egalitarians. Yep. Um, and so, you know, building good, cheap, affordable housing for a lot more people, I think she kind of might have liked it as long as it's well-designed and well-thought-out and beautifully landscaped because she was very much in favour of all of her um, developments being well set in, in nice grounds. You know, she, she built the um, – well, it was her idea to build to, – to improve the domain and yep. um, to, to build Mrs. Macquarie's path around the domain. And obviously we've got Mrs. Macquarie's chair there as well. And Elizabeth Farm – was named actually after Elizabeth yep, MacArthur. Right. Yeah, right. Would she have approved? Because she was also mm. an innovator. Yeah, I think as long as as long as the essential farm and the farmlands were preserved, because when you go out there, you know, there's still some of the original vines there that she planted, and and they have you know some of the first types of vegetables and fruits in Australia coming from overseas, yeah. because you know they were yep. always the the European colonialists were always coming from afar on their ships and they would bring experimental seeds with them. And right. she planted many of them and nurtured right. them and cherished them there. So I think she might have been quite excited about it too, about nurturing a new generation of buildings nearby. I don't think she would have been horrified. There you go, developers. You have the de facto blessing of Elizabeth Macquarie and Elizabeth <laughs> MacArthur. I don't know how the current generation of MacArthur's might feel about it. Slightly differently, I feel. Yes, but they're, they're kind of mostly in the north, uh, sorry, in the southwest of Sydney around right. Camden Park. Right. Um, and that's the, the other historic home of Elizabeth MacArthur. So they're kind of a, a bit of a distance away, so they might not be t too worried. Okay. I don't know. Okay. When we come back, we're going to talk about the thing I thought we were going to talk about when we started this podcast, which is the flight from development by developers who say it's just too hard to build apartment blocks in Australia. That's after this. And we're back. Sue, it seems like a developer's are claiming it's too hard to develop apartment blocks in in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of press around the fact that um, there's a real drop in the number of building approvals in Australia for new homes, and they've been down 17.2% in July for That's all for homes, all dwellings, 17.2% 17 down this July over June, but that's a 25.9% drop over the year, which is quite huge. And most of that is made up by the drop in apartment approvals. Right. Um, they're down, right. private sector apartments are down 43.5%, wow. which is incredible. Wow. Which is incredible. That's, that's almost yep. half. And that's the lowest level since January 2012. So that's 10 years. So my question about apartments is, given all the hard work and excellent work that David Chandler is doing, in tightening up the mm. development industry, is he scaring <laughs> off developers? 
is he being too effective? If he is scaring off developers, he's only scaring off the bad developers, isn't he? Because he won't be scaring off good developers because they'll be developing good stuff no matter what. They won't be scared of David Chandler. But the bad developers, maybe he is scaring them off because, um, you know, if they want to deliver below standard apartments, then they've got a lot to fear. So is this, do you think this is maybe just a blip that the other, the good developers will start filling the gap and, uh, and building more apartments to make up for the dodgy developers who have given up and taken up something more lucrative like money laundering? Well, I guess it's possible, but I, I think the main reason building approvals are down so much, there's a number of reasons, I think. And one of those is that prices are down. So developers can't sell apartments for as much as they were selling them you know, maybe even six months ago. Right. Um, when prices were really buoyant, right. people were very willing to compete for apartments and they would pay, you know, huge prices for them, often a bit crazy prices. And also building costs are yeah. really up by a huge amount and there's been terrible supply yeah. constraints on a lot of building materials yeah. and, and kind of real delays. Yeah. That's caused real delays in, in building and that's added to costs. Yeah. And also... <laughs> Labour shortages yep. within the um, building industry. Where have all these workers gone? Yep, that's I mean, right. there's nobody to pick the fruit. There's nobody to, to hammer in the shuttering for <laughs> concrete pours. I mean, they I can't a lot of them be maybe the same were people, overseas surely. workers and they went home during COVID and they haven't come back yet because we've only just right. opened our borders, really. And maybe some of them are a bit nervous about coming yeah. back because they were kicked out so quickly um, before, maybe they, you know, a bit nervous about coming back. They're enjoying spending time with their families. I'm sure the labor shortage is only a temporary thing and people will come back, especially if, um, wages start going up a little bit to attract them. That, that will really help. But I think all yeah. those things together, I mean, there was one developer who said that with all the building costs and the, and the supply disruptions, the price of apartments is going to be about 20% higher in the future than they are now because they can't developers can't afford to develop apartments for the prices that they are now so he's saying they're going to prices are going to go up 20% so therefore demand might fall back yeah. um, because people might not be able to afford a 20% yeah. rise and so that's going to kind of create even more problems for developers they might end up with a, an extra supply of apartments on their hands that they can't sell is there room in the market, do you think, for the cheap and cheerless developer, the one that's going to say, look, we can build a lot of apartments, they're not going to have any frills, there's no bells or whistles, they're not going to have views, they're going to be pretty pretty tightly packed, but they will all be built to uh, building standards, Australia, mm. uh, but they will be cheaper. Well. No, I don't think there's a place anymore for cheap and cheerless apartments. I think there is a place for cheaper apartments, but really well-designed apartments. They might have smaller space inside, interiors. Um, They might have smaller outdoor balconies. But I think there is a place for smaller apartments, but ones which are really, really well-designed. And we've got some fantastic architects Mm. who've developed some really good buildings, and they have great floor plans. And some of them in the past have had built-in furniture as well, so they don't actually take up more room for the furniture. Um, They have sort of bespoke cabinetry, which is all part of the the actual floor plan. So they work really, really well. And they're, they're very small, and they're very compact, but they're actually really easy to, to live in. And also, you know, 
boarding the right. new generation boarding houses, there's probably more space for them now too. Right. And those are places which are kind of studio right. apartments, but they may have shared kitchens. Um, right. So this is the next stage before we get to that's the, right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a stepping stone in some ways. And these new generation boarding houses, you know, boarding houses is such an awful pejorative term, really. But they're kind of like a bit like student accommodation. I mean, I, when I went to university, I lived in student accommodation. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And we had shared kitchens and we had shared bathrooms. I don't think anyone has shared bathrooms no. anymore. <laughs> that would always come. But you'd have no. shared laundries no. and shared communal spaces, you know, shared lounge rooms. Um, you might have shared. Um, working spaces as well. So um, I, I think there's more room for those kind of developments as well. I'll be a big advocate for them. All right. So it's just a blip. The uh, the the built once we get the the building materials back in to the country, and once we get the builders and joiners and concrete borers and plasterers and tilers back into the country, Let's then hope so, they'll yes. all take off I again. mean, I was talking to some um, economists last week, and they were saying they think that we're now about halfway through the downturn. So we're not going to go down much further. Right. Um, the RBA is is starting right. to – serious. the, the RBA will, will heist – interest rates a couple more times, but probably by later this year or early next year, they'll either keep interest rates the same or they'll start to lower them because they'll have inflation under control. So really, the outlook looks pretty um, rosy, I think. We shouldn't get too depressed because I think the downturn, you know, there is an end in sight. Great. When we come back, we're going to do our new weekly feature of putting Sue Williams on the spot and asking her a question from the forum. That's after this. Here at Flat Chat, we're always telling people that one of the benefits of apartment living is that you can just lock up and leave when you want to take a holiday. Well, if you're looking for some inspiration on where to go to make the most of your freedom, take a look at mildrover.com, our website for seasoned travellers. It has news, reviews and special travel deals in which you can literally save thousands of dollars. That's M-I-L-D-R-O-V-E-R dot com, the website that takes you somewhere fantastic, even if you don't leave home. And we're back. And this is possibly not Sue's favorite part of our podcast. But this is her chance to be a strata guru. So we've had a question um, which is being debated quite hotly on the website, on the forum. Somebody says, I want to put a, a bylaw in place that says if a tenant is repeatedly behaves, mm-hmm. breaches bylaws, let's say, okay, and I'm, I'm saying behaves badly, but it could be something like parking in other people's parking spots or parking in in the common property visitor parking. If they do this repeatedly, the bylaw should say that the landlord is obliged to evict them. So you've got a serial bylaw breacher. Um, <clears throat> the owner's corporation cannot throw them out, but the landlord can. Right. I think the first thing that I would say, and this may be wrong, but you will correct me, no doubt, Jimmy, very quickly, is that you can't have a bylaw directed against one particular unit or one particular unit's owner. It has to apply for the whole building. So you can say, if 
Mm. You see, if you, it could still apply to the whole building. Yeah, absolutely. So it has to be drawn up for the whole building. So it has to be drawn up for all owners of yeah. the building. And then it would have to say… But if they don't have tenants, then it doesn't apply. That's right. That's right. But I think where so you're g- going with this is you can't discriminate against one group. Mm. Yes, that's right. So you have to say any owner who lets out their lot to somebody who interferes with other people's peaceful enjoyment of their own property will have to do forever. And I don't think you can do that. I yeah, think… Because, I, yeah, because that inter- interferes with the business. And also it's it's interferes with their freedom to decide what they want to do with their tenants. But what you can do is say, if you don't get your tenants to behave, we're going to fine you. Oh, yes. And if yep. you still don't do it, we're going to fine you again. And maybe we, we will then go to the NCAT, to the tribunal, and say, we want orders. We want you to order this landlord to control the tenant. And so that doesn't require a bylaw, does it? No, because the laws mm. are already there. Okay, well, that's kind of why I said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> This, I think this is a, it's not an ideal situation for um, recording a podcast. Even in this location here, we'd be better off if we had a blanket over our heads to record the podcast. But then somebody probably, might steal all our luggage. Yeah, probably not in our luck. But um, yeah, look, hopefully you can hear through the noise and the scraping chairs and the screaming children and the people who phone other people by holding their phones at arm length and shouting at them, which usually means they don't actually need a telephone at all. <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks, Sue, for breaking into your quiet time to uh, record the podcast. Pleasure, Jimmy. Fine. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying thanks again, talk to you again next week 